We are here to celebrate Easter as we get things going here this morning. And at Easter, there's a lot of things having to do with Easter. One of the things is new outfits. How many of you got new outfits for Easter? Raise your hand. Some of you got new outfits. You went shopping. Okay. All right. Some of you did. Some of you look good. Some of you not so much. Some of you look good. That's great. Okay. I stepped it up. You all should take a picture right now. This is a moment. This is the first time I've put a suit coat on this stage on a Sunday morning in my two years of being here. All right. Here it is. Take a mental image. This may be the last time, folks, okay? Enjoy it, all right? So it's, it's that. Some of you are going to maybe dye some eggs and do some of like the Easter things. Maybe you did that yesterday. Uh, fun. Some of you are going to have a big meal this afternoon. Maybe you have some family over. Maybe you're going to celebrate with a few friends and do something like that. Or uh, for me, one of the highlights of Easter for me is this thing. It's the, the Reese's egg. Anybody, can, I, can I get an amen out there? I got a few. Anybody like Reese's eggs? Raise your hand. All right. We got a Reese's egg. We got Reese's egg. We got Reese's egg. Ah. Anybody in the back? The back. Ah. 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 All right. That's all I got for it. My, my wife is yelling at me in the front row right now. Sorry. <laughs> She's like, be careful. Here, you can have a Reese's egg too, Amber. But we know that none of these things are what Easter is about, right? Easter is about going, for some of you, Easter is about uh, going to church. And and I think, look, we got a full room here this morning. A lot of you like, this is what we do on Easter. We go to church. And some of you are, just came, this is a part of your pattern. You come on Sunday. Some of you were invited by a friend this morning. We're so grateful that you're here. Honestly, some of you probably came out of obligation. Somebody dragged you here this morning. If that's you, we're glad you're here. Some of you walked in the door this morning because you're in a tough place in life and you didn't know where else to turn, we're really glad you're here. But for those of us here who understand what Easter is all about, we came with excitement because we know it means the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we come to celebrate. It's once a year when we gather today together to commemorate his resurrection from the dead. But hear this, it's not just Easter that's about the resurrection. The truth is Christianity hangs on the resurrection, all right? Paul wrote about this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Who's Paul? Uh, Paul was a guy who was trying to kill the Christians. He was trying to end this thing called Christianity. He thought it was the wrong thing, but he came face to face with a resurrected Jesus, and he went from being the greatest persecutor of the church to becoming the greatest advocate and missionary of the church, all right? And when Paul writes about the resurrection, he says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says it this way. I'm going to read it because it's not on my TV right now. It says this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. All right? So often we think that Christianity is about just a belief system. It's about values. It's about rituals, about going to church. And sure, we absolutely believe certain things. But at its core, Christianity is grounded in an event. And hear this. With it, all things are possible. Without it, it's useless. This whole faith thing is useless. Paul would say this, you might as well stop wasting your time. Let's go do something else on Sundays if the resurrection didn't take place. So does it seem weird to you, or find it weird, that we celebrate an entire holiday, and in fact an entire faith system and belief system and religion is grounded in an event that none of us have ever witnessed before? Anybody seen somebody raised from the dead? 
Like maybe you've lived a more exciting life than I have. I've never seen somebody raised from the dead. And it, it seems kind of crazy, right? It, it doesn't seem logical. You know, I like to be a logical person. I like to think that I'm fairly reasonable. It doesn't really seem reasonable, or does it? You see, if Christianity, Christianity was based on just a belief system, right, just some values and things like that, there would be nothing verifiable about Christianity. You either believe it or you don't. There's nothing to actually look at. But what I love about faith in Jesus is that it isn't just grounded in some vague belief system, but it is grounded in a verifiable event. What do I mean? First, we have witnesses to the resurrection. How do we know that an event has occurred? In this world, how do you know something's happened? Well, in our world, it's Instagram, right? If it, like, Instagram, it's TikTok, it's, it's Twitter, whatever it is. You don't, if it hasn't happened on social media, it hasn't actually happened. But in the history of our world, how do we know things happen? Somebody sees something, and then they write it down. That's what's happened for millennia. You see it, and you write it down. And this is exactly what we have. This is what our New Testament of the Bible is. It is witnesses to the resurrected Jesus, now, if you're like me, you would say, well, of course, of course, the Bible says about, talks about this. The Bible, the Bible invented the entire thing, but that's a misunderstanding of what our Bible is. See, the Bible wasn't created by a bunch of guys just sitting together and like, let's come up with a cool story, right? We're going to write this amazing story. If that's what happened, I think our New Testament would be a little more cohesive than what we have. What we have is a compilation of writings from firsthand accounts. People who saw Jesus firsthand and their close associates. People who looked with their own eyes and saw the resurrected Jesus. You need to understand this truth. The Bible didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection caused the Bible. All right? And this is a core truth that you need to understand, and it's this. Without the resurrection, there is no the Bible. Okay? It's like sandwiches. Okay? Why do we have sandwiches? One answer. Meat. Okay? Some of you vegetarians out there, you're like, yeah, but what about a veggie sub? <laughs> That's not a sandwich, folks. That, that is a salad wrapped in a crouton. Okay? That's what that is. Nobody, nobody was sitting around thinking, oh, let's come up with a better way to eat a salad. No. They said, we got meat. We need to find another way to eat meat. <laughs> and thus the sandwich, <laughs> okay? This is why we have the Bible. The resurrection caused it. If there's no resurrection, there is no Bible. They wouldn't have wasted time putting it together. So we have all of these witnesses. But it's more than just the witnesses that wrote the New Testament. There are so many other witnesses to the resurrection. We find this written in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well. Paul is writing about this. He says, he being Jesus, Jesus appeared to Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. Peter. Peter was one of these guys who was called. He followed after Jesus. He followed. He saw all the miracles, all these things. And at the end of his life, Peter said to Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll give my very life for you. And then his life came on the line. And he said, eh, never mind. <laughs> I don't know this guy, right? And so Jesus dies. He's resurrected, and Peter sees a resurrected Jesus. And he goes from being this coward to on, on the day of Pentecost, standing before the people and, and proclaiming that you killed. Before the people who had just questioned him, who had just threatened his life, he began to proclaim, you killed the Son of God, and he is raised from the dead. And 3,000 people came to faith that day. Goes on, he says, he appeared to Cephas, and then he appeared to the 12. Who are the 12? 12 disciples. These are the guys who walked with him. They saw him. They saw all the miracles, all this kind of stuff. But when Jesus died, where were they? Hiding. They were hiding, running for their lives. 
But something happened. They saw the resurrected Jesus. It says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters. And what, this is most likely before the ascension. All these believers, this large multitude is together, and Jesus reveals himself to them. And I love it. it says this, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What's Paul saying? They're still alive. Go ask them. Go ask them. Some of them are dead, but a lot of them are still alive. Trust me, this is a reality. They saw it with their own eyes. The passage continues, and it says it this way. Go to the next screen. It says, then he appeared to James. And I've told you this before. This is my favorite defense of Jesus' divinity. Because who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. In the beginning of the story, James thought his brother was crazy, Right? It's like, my brother is off his rocker. He's thinking he's God. He's doing all this stuff. Like, they tried to save him, pull him away. Like, get him away. He's embarrassing us. And I've asked this question before. What would you have to do to prove to your brother that you are God? Like, think about it. <laughs> like, your brother knows you. <laughs> your sister knows you. They know you're not God, okay? Well, resurrecting from the dead is a pretty good way. And because of that, what happens? He, he, James becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem, right? Something happened goes on and says, uh, and then he appeared to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me being Paul. You see, there's all of these people who saw the resurrected Jesus with their eyes, but we have so much more than that. We have the history that followed, the history of what took place. When, when you look at what occurred in the decades following the resurrection of Jesus, that, that followed in these, this period of time, it's hard to not acknowledge that something out of the ordinary took place, Okay? Because remember, when Jesus died, the movement died. Like his movement stopped moving the moment he passed away. The crowds deserted him. Peter denied knowing him. The disciples are hiding. And there was nobody at the tomb waiting for him to come out. Okay? It's not like they got together. Let's have a watch party. They got popcorn, you know, set up the lawn chairs. And like, here it comes. You know, 10, 9, 8, here it comes. You know, that didn't take place. When the women came to the tomb, they weren't expecting an empty grave. They were expecting a dead body. But something happened, and everything changed. You see, all of those disciples who were hiding, all these people who were fleeing for their life, they suddenly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, began to proclaim that this Jesus who was killed is now alive. Now, some of you would say, well, of course, well... The disciples would say that. They got together. They came up with a good story for what this resurrection really was. You know, tell the story. And people have been drinking the Kool-Aid ever since. That's what I would think. Except, ask yourself this question. Why would they lie? What benefit did they get out of it? Because usually, we lie when we get something out of it, right? You think about the little three-year-old kid. You're like, did you eat the cookies? And they got cookies. No, I didn't eat the cookies. You know, cookies are... Why? You lie when you think it's going to get you away out of something. You, you lie when it's going to help you in some way. Well, what would this lie have gotten the early disciples? It got them beaten. It got them arrested, flogged, hung, burned, and crucified. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred for their faith at different places and at different times. Why? Was it because they wouldn't deny this story that they had made up about this resurrected Jesus? Listen, I would guess that one of them would have cracked. Like somebody would have cracked. Somebody would have said, never mind, I don't really want to die. It was a lie. We made the whole thing up. Not a real thing. No. The issue wasn't that they wouldn't deny the story they made up. The fact is they couldn't deny what they saw with their own eyes. 
the reality of a resurrected Jesus. And because of this, this movement started to move. And in the face of heavy persecution, the early church, the early religious leaders, they were trying to kill the Christians. They were trying to stuff them out. Listen, they killed Jesus. They'd have gladly killed all these disciples. And then you've got the Roman authorities. They would kill anybody that would try and usurp their authority in some way. They would stand against them. They said, no, we're not going to do this. They crucified thousands and thousands of people. And then what do we have? What is Christianity grounded in? What's the behavior supposed to be like? Well, it's things like, you know, loving the person who hurts you, it's humility, it's submission, it's turn the other cheek, it's lay down your life. And my guess is that type of behavior would not stand in the face of people who are trying to kill you. And yet, within 300 years, the empire that was trying to kill the Christians became a Christian nation, right? This very empire became a Christian nation. This whole thing of Christianity should have never made it past the crucifixion, and it absolutely should not have made it out of the first century. But here we are in the year 2021. We are celebrating not some religious system, but the verifiable resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is seated on the throne, and it should inspire faith in our hearts that we're not just believing some crazy stuff. No, we can stand firm in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right? But I love what Jesus said. Before his death and his resurrection, what did he say? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. See, it's as if Jesus was saying, listen, resurrection isn't just something I did. Resurrection is who I am and is what I am still doing today. I breathe life into dead places. That's what I do. And across this room, I could send a mic around and you could tell the stories and testify of how God has brought life to you. Some of you are like, these crazy people are like singing and all excited. Why? It's not because we're just hyping ourselves up. It's because God has done something in our lives. He has brought us back to life. He has given us hope. Some of you were at the end of your rope and God has restored you. Some of your marriages were falling apart and God has healed and is continuing to heal you. Some of you didn't know where else to turn, but Christ poured his love out on you. Some were raised in homes that were absolutely crazy and dysfunctional and God has restored your heart and restored your mind and giving you a new hope and a new future. That's what he does. He is a God of restoration. He is a God of redemption. There is hope. You know, around here we say, uh, our name is Zoe, and some of you are like, what in the world is that? <laughs> Zoe, Zoe is the Greek word for the abundant, overflowing, overwhelming life that's only found in Christ. Here's what we believe. We believe that through Christ, every one of us should experience that, both now and for all of eternity. That's what he has created for us. That's what he desires for us. That's what he made us for. There is hope for you. But it's not for everyone. And I want to come to our big so what. Every week I say, so what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything that I've shared this morning, if you fell asleep, wake yourself up, wake your neighbor up, whatever you got to do here. So what? The resurrection is so great. Here's the big so what for this morning. It's this. Hope is only for the desperate. This hope of Christ, it's only for the desperate. What do I mean? It's only for the people who acknowledge I really need it. It's only for those who have a sober understanding of the reality of how things actually are. 
They know he's the only hope. You see, there's a story in the New Testament where a woman approaches Jesus. And this, this woman says that she had an issue of blood. It was a sickness that she had dealt with. And um, says that she had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. She'd gone and sought as much uh, people as possible to try and deal with this problem. And yet, she couldn't solve the problem. They couldn't fix it. She continued to have issues. And uh, says that she spent all of her money. She was out of money, out of resources. She couldn't do anything at the end of her rope. And then she hears about this Jesus. It's this Jesus who is healing people, who is setting people free, who's actually raising people from the dead. And so she says, listen, maybe there's a chance. Like, maybe, maybe this is the one. I don't have any other options. I don't have another option. I don't have another source. He is the only one that could do anything. And so she decides to come after this Jesus. But if you're familiar with the stories, the crowds are always surrounding Jesus. You couldn't get to him. So the woman comes and she sees the crowd. And she says, I've got to get to him. So she starts to work her way through the crowd. And I'm sure she's pulling people out of the way. You know, she's a woman. She shouldn't even be touching these men. I'm sure the men are mad at her and they say, it doesn't matter. She's desperate. She knows her need. And she fights her way to Jesus. And at the end of her finger, she just reaches as far as she can and just is able to get a finger to touch the hem of his garment. And in a moment, she feels that there's a healing in her body. Finally, there's this restoration. Finally, there's a relief. And she thinks she's going to sneak away. No big deal. But what does Jesus do? He says, stop. Who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. There's people all around. Jesus, you got to chill out, man. He's like, no, somebody touched me. And she steps forward, knowing that God had healed her. She steps forward and says, it was me. He says, listen, your faith has healed you. Your faith that says, I don't have another option. I know where I'm at. And the reality is, he is the only hope that I have. Like, I can't do it. There's no place else that I can turn. My only hope is him. And I love this story because to me, it speaks the truth of the gospel. Because here's what the gospel says. The gospel, if you don't know what the word gospel means, it means good news. We talk about the good news. But here's the reality. There is only good news if you're willing to acknowledge the bad news. Okay? That's why I say hope is only for the desperate. It's not, oh, I just like the good things. No, no, you got to accept some really bad news. And the bad news is that you and me, apart from Christ, are spiritually dead. It's not that we're like just a little off somewhere, just got some things I got to work through. No, you're dead. You are spiritually dead. You are lost and broken. The, the wages of sin is death. That's where we stand apart from Christ. It isn't some fairy tale. Remember, this whole thing is grounded in the reality of the resurrection. I said this last week to some of you, like, you think I'm a good person, right? And, and I try to be a good person. I follow after Christ. But I know myself. And if I have to stand before a holy, just, righteous God, and it says in Scripture that I will, if I have to stand before Him in every moment, every flaw, every broken, every careless thought, every careless word, everything that I have ever thought or experienced in the dark, if that is brought to light and I am forced to be laid bare before a holy, righteous God, I know where I stand. I am doomed for death. That's the bad news. And the bad news for you is you're in the same position I am. It's just reality. But that's where the good news comes in. 
is that through the gospel, it says that Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, he purchased, he paid the penalty for our sin, our brokenness, our lostness, right? He paid the penalty and he proved his power over death through the resurrection. That if we would put our faith in him, and what does it mean to put our faith in Jesus? It doesn't just mean I have happy feelings about Jesus. He's a nice guy. No, it means this, that I repent. What does repentance mean? It means to turn away from my way of doing things, my way of thinking things, to repent from those things and to turn toward God. If I repent and submit my life to God and call him my Lord, not just call him my Savior, but I call him my Lord and say, you get to call the shots. My life is now yours. My everything is now yours. If we put our faith in Jesus like that, it says that he gives us right standing before God. So one day when I stand before God in all of my flaw and weakness, guess what? I don't have to stand in shame. I get to stand in the victory that Christ purchased on the cross and resurrection. I get to say, woe is me. I'm a sinner, but praise be to God, he has bought salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay? Like that's what the good news is. But hear this. That good news and hope is only for the desperate. It only comes when you get to the point where you say, I'm out of options. I can't do this on my own. God, I acknowledge the reality of where I am. It's not like I'm just so needy. It's no, I recognize my need. Like I need you. When we get to that point, we have the opportunity to step into not just an eternal Zoe, but a, a Zoe that God wants to breathe into your life right now, into your circumstances and what you've got going on. And in a moment, there's some of you here this morning, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to God, to submit, like I said, to put your faith in Christ like that in a surrendering manner that is salvation for you. It is hope for you. But I want to talk to followers of Christ just for a moment here before we close. Because my guess is there's plenty of us in here that we've acknowledged, we've given our lives to Christ. But when we look at our life, we're experiencing anything other than Zoe. Like we look at our life and it's a disaster. The way we're relating to people, our, our relationships, our, our interactions, our finances, all these kinds, we're not experiencing the Zoe life God has prepared for us. And we say, woe is me, woe is me. But there's another scripture. It says this. It says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And I think we forget that sometimes. I don't think we live in the reality of that. We don't experience, we don't say, yes, I'm victorious through Christ. No, we say, oh, woe is me. But see, here's what God's desire is. I don't know what your circumstance is, but in the morning when you wake up, you need to remember the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. So I don't need to live like everybody else does. I don't have to think like everybody else does. I don't have to accept this life as it is and say, oh, well, this is just how it is. No, I can pursue the great goodness, the Zoe life God has for us. But it means it comes in submission, constant submission to the reality of his lordship, but also a constant recognition of what he's provided for us. Paul prays this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart, and I want to pray this over you, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked. See, God has something 
amazing for you, but will we receive it and will we walk in it? That's the challenge. I believe God wants to do that in your life. But we have to be willing to say, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it on your terms. I'll do it your way. I'll do it in submission to your purposes. And I believe God will do something new in your life. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond here. And I believe for some of you, we've been praying for weeks for you. Some of you have been, you, know, you were invited here, you've decided to walk in the door here and, and God wants to breathe something into you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to call you. He's been calling you for years and this could be that day for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much that you are active, Lord. And Lord, we know, we acknowledge that, that we're the broken people. We are the desperate ones. We're the ones that need you so badly, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to, to live in light of that. For those of us who call us followers of Christ, for those of us who have surrendered, God, may we live in the reality of that. Not just living like everybody else does, God. But God, I pray that you would help us to live as those who have that same spirit living inside of us. Because that's the truth. God, help us to experience victory. God, I pray that you would break chains in this place. People who have been living so far below what you have for them, God, may instead we respond in victory that you purchased for us. We thank you for that, Jesus. With every head bow and every eye closed, I want to talk to those who are yet to respond. It's possible that maybe you've never responded to Christ or it's possible that maybe somewhere along the way you've walked away. We sang it earlier, but our God is a God of second chances. And he'll do this. Listen, he will meet you where you are. Some of you walk in the room, you're ashamed and you're embarrassed a little bit with where your life is at, with their, where things are at. Listen, before God, you can walk in confidence. He will meet you where you are. He will not leave you there, but he will meet you where you are. If you will simply humble yourself and show that you are the desperate one who says, God, I need you and I know it. With every head bow, every eye closed across the room, if you are here this morning and you want to respond to Christ, you want to put for the very first time or you want to recommit your life to Christ, I want to invite you just to raise a hand across the room and say, God, that's me. That's me. I want to put my faith in Christ. Yes. Yes. That's you across the room. Yes, if that's with you online, I want you just to, to respond in your heart as well. I invite all of you to pray along in your heart as I pray right now. God, we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you have pursued us to this point. You have been chasing us down for today. And God, we thank you for that, Lord. We believe in your son, Jesus Christ. We believe he died and he rose again. We believe that there is victory in him. And God, I pray right now that you would forgive me of my sin. God, I pray that you would wash me clean. Lord, I, I admit my failure. I admit my weakness. I admit my brokenness and my spiritual death. And God, I ask that you would give me spiritual life. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would make me totally new, Lord, as I place my faith in you. And I don't just make you my Savior, God. I make you the Lord. I make you the leader of my life. I submit myself completely to you, repenting of my ways and turning from my ways and instead saying, God, I want to follow your ways. God, I pray that you would do that in my life and in my life. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you, you have prepared a Zoe life for me that begins today and lasts for all of eternity. We pray you, praise you, praise there. Thank you, Jesus. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen.
Amen. If you responded, and there were a number of you that raised hands wanting to respond, that is the greatest decision you could ever make. But hear this. Hear this. Faith is not a destination. Faith is a journey. All right? And you just began a journey that requires a community. And this is why around here, we're not just an event place. We are a community that loves one another, that encourages one another. And so we encourage you, be, come be a part of this. Uh, let us know, and, and, you know, be a part of things. Come join us next Sunday that you can join this community and we can encourage each other in faith. That is what we need as a faith community, all right? Uh, for everyone else, I just believe that t t beginning tomorrow morning, you need to wake up and you need to remind yourself, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And see how that changes the way you think, all right?